This week on Trek, Mary Kill. Klingons, catchphrases, steroids. Next. Trek, Mary Kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary Kill, a Star Trek podcast with one ideology, profit. <laughs> Just kidding. We're not going to make yeah. any money off this. Yeah. No. Uh, our- no. <laughs> Our ideology is judging episodes of Star Trek to determine which ones we love, like, or hate. Kristen, we crossed an important milestone last week. I don't know if you knew this. The Expanse was our 93rd episode of Star Trek that we've graded, meaning we've hit the 10% mark on our progress wow. bar. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. We've uh, we've we've rated 10% of all Star Trek. Yes, we took some shortcuts, but uh, so what? I stand by it. Yeah, so what? We did do every episode of Strange New Worlds first season, and we'll be doing an episode of Strange New Worlds second season for this one. Uh, and for the most part, I think we liked it, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did seven treks, one Mary, two kills. Uh, that definitely suggests that the 30-40-30 theory, 30% of Star Trek episodes are fantastic, 40% are good or fine, and the remaining 30% are bad. That might not be correct, or, and I think this is more more likely... Went a little easy on it. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I think it helped, though, that the first season was pretty good. Uh, I might have been too kind, though, when I declared it the best first season of Star Trek since the original series. I don't know. Uh, during our downtime, I was watching some Deep Space Nine season one. Maybe that's due for some critical reassessment. I'm not sure. Um, but you know what? I, I liked it. Even though at the end of the day, I think this is still a reboot, Strange New Worlds, a reboot of Star Trek, that for some reason they can't just come out and say is a reboot. So they mm-hmm. do these weird things where they talk around it. They're going to honor canon sometimes, make changes they think fit. Uh, they kind of pretzel themselves into this weird story logic to kind of make it bend around what comes before. But it's like so nakedly a change that it doesn't fit, but they're just like, go with it. Um, I don't know. So we'll just call it a reboot, you know? So- <laughs> It's still Star Trek, you know. It is still. It is. Yes, yes. It's definitely Star Trek. And I liked it a lot in the first season enough that I definitely it didn't like disappear from my mind in between seasons one and two. I wanted to talk about a couple of things that have stuck in my mind since last we did Strange New Worlds episodes since last it was on because its second season just ended, uh, and so we're we're doing running this one the week after or two weeks after now that it's ended. One of those things was something, a, a hot goss you sent me, Kristen. <laughs> apparently, Ethan Peck and uh, Jess Bush, they were actually hooking up when, uh, mm-hmm. when their characters were hot and heavy in season one. Yeah. Uh, no I other guess not much to do in Canada. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they were like, our characters are supposed to be touching and getting close. Let's just go for it. Yeah. And go for it, they did. Or perhaps we should say allegedly, because I don't I don't even remember where I got that information. So I can't say like, like I, I don't think it was confirmed. Like there were there were I, like, I, in, I, yeah. I don't remember. Maybe it was confirmed in like People magazine. And if so, then we don't have to say allegedly anymore. But I don't know. I don't remember. We'll stick with allegedly, because my recollection is you sent me the item as kind of like a blind item. And so, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So allegedly. So I don't know. It could have been someone else. It could have been two other cast members. 
But I just thought that was interesting. I mean, how often I can't imagine any Star Trek series in our lifetimes uh, where that's happened. Like, could you imagine like Kate Mulgrew was seen leaving Robert Beltran's trailer? <laughs> it's like, no, I don't, I'm not seeing that happen. <laughs> yeah, but I think that part of it is because this is this is not filmed in L.A. It's different. Oh, great point. So, like, they have to, yeah, like, like decamp yeah, see to... These, yeah, yeah, so, like, yeah. you gotta see these people every day around town, and, like, it's not enough to... You know, you don't have your on-set romance if you're filming at home, usually. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't, but, I mean, you can. If you're, but if you're doing a series, it's tough. It's 10 episodes, not 22 or 26. Yeah, and, oof. Yeah. Imagine, yeah. imagine trying to do an on-set romance in L.A. and during, like, a 26 episode season like you're gonna hate each other by the end of that like your entire relationship is happening in in the course of a season you're speed yeah. running an entire relationship mm-hmm. <laughs> but 10 episodes on location that's different so these are all good things we're mentioning i think it's a good thing that they they had enough chemistry to like carry it on off screen i oh i i, th- I think the gossip is i don't know if they had like other partners at the time oh i see so I, I don't see. know anything about that. So I can't, I don't, yes, it might not be a good thing. Maybe that's the gossip. Yeah, that's true. So again, you know, allegedly, did, I don't know anything about it. Sorry. Having dated actors before, if you're of a certain age, you can kind of walk into it blindly realizing like, what, they're cheating? What? They're, there's like, they're very open with their, most actors are very open. And so monogamy is like, it happens. It, it's there. It's part of the human experience that people want one partner, but also shouldn't be that much of a surprise no and we we just experienced this with the big kerfuffle of ariana grande trying to <laughs> date her <We're>... married co-star <laughs> who played spongebob squarepants and i'm so sorry looks straight up like howdy doody if you haven't seen him he has baby teeth if you don't follow and... Kristen on Twitter, which that's not an endorsement to go follow her, she might want yeah, don't, to. Don't try to find me on Twitter if you're not already following. Your instructions on celebrity, on understanding, navigating celebrity culture. <laughs> oh, just perfect. You're, you're, you. you're like, you idiot, you fool. What did you think was going to happen? Like, people actually like <laughs> privately reached out to me and were like, I can't say this publicly, but I'm dying over your tweets about <laughs> whatever the, the gossip is that day or whatever you know you're, um, cre- you're creating a fake reality right so it's very yeah. easy to think that it's real that when that you might have like a real connection with the person even though also for the most part actors young hot like phys- in physically good shape it's like well hot's the main yeah yeah it, it all makes sense I think I think like group sex and like non-monogamy are much much higher in the actor and celebrity population than uh, amongst us normies probably. Not just probably. I'm just gonna say like yes. And I for one celebrate that. Congratulations, act- actors. Yeah. Might as well just. I mean, you guys are having a great time. It. Yeah. Go for <laughs> it. The other good news was that Anson Mount had a child during the offseason. Sorry, I'm also a sports writer and sports blogger, so my mind hiatus and offseason kind of get intertwined sometimes. I also think it's just fun to think of it that way. During the offseason, during the downtime, between (laughs) Anson Mount Mount had a child. Uh, His wife gave birth to Clover is the child's name. I wonder if that's the child's real name or if that's the online name. 
Clover Mount. Uh, so congratulations. Oh. The picture he posted on his Twitter, what an adorable camera-ready pose. Mm-hmm. Found his camera right away. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be wrapped in a scarf also, was kind of, or a Supreme Court wig. Or oh, from like a like a British court wig, a British, oh, like, a like British a magistrate. No, that's yeah. just a blanket. It's just a cable knit blanket. You also, look, doesn't it, doesn't she always doesn't she kind of also look like a barrister though, like a, oh. a baby barrister? <laughs> um, yeah, no. yeah, I could see that from a distance. Like, yeah, yeah. So the Finally, cable knit is such that it does look like one of the old timey barrister wigs. I feel like I need to reiterate just to make it clear. I think Anson Mount's terrific as Captain mm-hmm. Pike. He is also an incredibly handsome man. So, you know, just great that his jeans are carrying on. Good job. Yeah. Uh, the fi- the third final bit of good news in between during the offseason was maybe not a discover- discovery, but simply the cementing of Ethan Peck as a real one. And I'm talking Uh-oh. about a real union guy. My hat's off. He has shot ahead of Zachary Kinto as the second best Spock of all time because he's on the picket lines every day. Every day? In I've front, seen oh, him. Every day? In front of Paramount? He goes to different ones. He doesn't just go to Paramount. He's gone to uh, CBS Radford in the Valley. I think he's gone to Warner Brothers. But like he doesn't just stick with one. And he doesn't just do the vanity line, the main line. He goes up oh, the yeah. side one, Lemon Grove, and up Gower. So I think some just show up for a little bit and then leave just to get their picture taken. Not him. I'm talking about you know. Yeah. I'm not. Oh, that's what I'm saying. But... He's a real yeah. one. So yeah. a real union guy. Um, that's awesome. That that is the spirit of Leonard Nimoy to me. No offense, Zach, Zachary Kinto. I'm sure he's done it too. But um, good good work. Yeah. We'll never have to find out. Zachary Quinto. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing The Broken Circle, the season two premiere of Strange New Worlds, written by Henry Alonzo Myers with Akiva Goldsman, so the two showrunners of Strange New Worlds. It was directed by Chris Fisher. It debuted on Paramount Plus June 15th, 2023. Memory Alpha Synopsis, a distress call from Lieutenant Noonien Singh compels Spock to disobey orders and take the Enterprise and its crew into disputed space, risking renewed hostilities with the Klingons in a bid to aid their shipmate. Because Anson Mount, his wife gave birth, they have a child, new child, he was able to get some family leave. Like they wrote him his character out for the first couple of episodes or lower, you know, limited his scenes so he didn't have to work quite as much in the beginning. So they find a reason to get Pike off the ship so that Spock can be the one in Yeah, I was wondering what was going on (laughs) with that. It was, I was like, oh, okay. Just going to zoom in to this episode. Yeah, he's going to go find uh, the right lawyer for Una to defend herself against her court martial for for lying on her application, which gets sillier the more you think. The more they talk about it, the sillier it sounds. She lied on her application in the space agency, which has the ability to detect life signs from thousands of miles away. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and they were not able to distinguish her life signs uh, as non-human. Interesting. Anyway. Oh, uh, just a little note on Zachary Quinto. I haven't been able to find if he's been actively striking right now, but 
or like on the obviously he's striking but like on the picket line back in 2007 he said he felt very guilty shooting the star trek movie while every while wj was on strike okay that's it <laughs> uh that so, movie would we call that being a real one or just no I mean, okay. I don't, I don't see After him. After the fact, he said he felt bad about it. Yeah, exactly. Also, he has like a production deal. He's, he's a producer. So. <laughs> Get back to work. <laughs> exactly. What are you doing? Anyone who may not realize this, but the 2009 Star Trek movie, that was a, a pencils down impacted strike. They were doing rewrites and they had to stop doing rewrites uh, yeah. to go shoot. And you can kind of see it like the first hour of the movie is pretty tight, pretty solid. And then the second half, it's like, we didn't get to that scene. We didn't get yeah. to that. <laughs> it was in the same interview when he talked about how it was the same thing on the show that he was on at the time heroes, which RIP a big uh, casualty of the 2007 WGA strike. So this is usually the part where we do some like general thoughts and then we'll get into specific thoughts. And for our older episodes, it's like, when do you remember the first time you saw it? Do you have any like, oh, I was a kid and I saw it? Well, that's not the case. This episode was like literally like three months ago or <laughs> two months ago. So not that. So the only thing I'll mention is in the run up, the press blitz for the launch of the season, which was after Star Trek Picard season three, there's sometimes, at least with the Paramount Plus crew, there's like a talking points that every single oh, yeah. person gives. And mm-hmm. the strenuous religious devotion to repeating literally i don't know did they come up with multiple oh, it's talking like, points? it's like republican <laughs> talking point kind of stuff like but it seemed like they only had one usually you have like a series of talking points right but for whatever reason they just had one and that is this season we are taking big swings big swings big swings to wit <sighs> I am using that phrase correctly. Three of the cast members appeared as holograms at London's Comic-Con. Rebecca Romaine, number one, Melissa Navia Ortegas, and I had been saying it wrong all year last year, Celia Rose Gooding as Ohura, not Celia. And Rebecca Romaine said, we really took some very big swings with genre in season two. And not everybody... It might not completely be embraced by all fans, but we tried a lot of things and we're very proud of it and very excited to share it with fans. Melissa Navia, pretty much around when we started filming season two, season one was coming out. So we had definitive proof that what we were doing was working and the fans embraced it. And the world was as excited to get it as we had been to make it the year prior. So it just really energized the set. We were like, yeah, they like this. Let's do more of it. And so it kind of gave us the push to take big swings and to go all out and say the fans have our backs. (laughs) Celia Rose Gooding says, I think that what we've done with season two is really take some big genre swings. Oh, she was like, I can't just say big swings, big genre swings. I think pretty much everyone is trying something that we weren't expecting to do, myself included, especially with Uhura. We're charting some uncharted territory. Anson Mount tells, tells Collider in a separate interview. It's like Christopher Guest and Spinal Tap discovering that these knobs all go up to 11. Akiva and Henry, the showrunner, our two showrunners, are so courageous. I really am not a conservative storyteller at all. I am all for saying, f*** tradition, let's do it our own way. But I've even found myself going, really? Can we really do this? 
If you thought we took some big swings really? in season one, yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can do this as a commercial voice. If you thought we took some big swings in season one, and we did in a lot of different ways, we're going for the rafters in season two. Mm-hmm. Henry Alonzo Myers told trekmovie.com, we're not telling Swing st- for the rafters. Because <laughs> if you're playing baseball inside, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's usually the fences, but that's okay. That's all right. Maybe, yeah. It's, it's playing to the raptors, right? In and the swinging. Astrodome or whatever. That's right. That makes sense. Uh, the catwalk. Is they don't play there anymore, do they? No. Minute Maid <laughs> no, Park? No, no. Sorry. Is it still called that? Minute Maid Park? What's it called now? It's called something else. No, no, no. Oh. It might. Uh, whatever. It you might know what I'm Where those, where those horrible Houston Astros play? Those, those cheating, those good those for cheating pieces of those shit. Those yeah. <laughs> Henry Alonzo Myers tells TrekMovie.com, we're not telling stories without telling stories about character. And that's really what season two is about. But that also means bigger science fiction ideas, bigger stranger worlds, crazier things. We try a couple of things that have never been done on Trek before. Personally, I believe successfully. Akiva Goldsman tells The Hollywood Reporter, I feel the job of this show is to take big swings. And by the way, season one will look like a lot of bunting compared to season two. Star Trek is, in my view, most useful when it is emotionally connecting, which includes joy, wonder, and sentiment. I think big swings are how you get there. And by the way, big swings just means not as expected. A big swing can be small. It can be a small story. So when we say big swings, I think we mean atypical. A big swing can also be a small one. (laughs) That's why he's an Academy Award winning screenwriter. Who would have thought of that? Not me. Not me, Brian. I would have thought of that one. If you weren't keeping count, Goldsman says big swings five times in six sentences. And that phrase makes up 11% of his total statement there. So the Paramount marketing. Almost almost big swings is almost the same amount of a statement as, as it is of the shows that we've covered. Uh, The Paramount. Yeah. If you're, Going to bed thinking about big swings tonight. Congratulations. The Paramount Marketing Department has done its job. I don't think there's other any other possible outcome. <laughs> I'm gonna it's gonna work its way into my everyday parlance, I think. I I'm gonna say it haunts every episode this season, having watched the full season. Uh I said back in our level one diagnostic that I I'm a firm believer that we need to let some time pass before we dig back into these and try to evaluate them soberly. But Kristen, it's not your fault. Well, you just kept drawing those episodes, those wild cards. Out. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> kept nailing all the season two. Fault. World. It's not your fault. It's not, I shouldn't have put them in there. Should, I shouldn't have let it yeah. be a possibility. If anything, it's your it's, fault. It's exactly my fault. If one of us is to be blamed. It's also my fault for wanting to do more wildcard episodes. So I could have just programmed the whole thing. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. Uh, This episode does wind up setting up a lot of season long story stuff, not just planning the idea of big swings uh, from the Spock Chapel relationship to Dr. Mabenga being really good at killing people, which we kind of knew from last season. Yeah, I mean, I had some hints there. Yeah. Uh, and then they end with a big hint that the Gorn are coming, uh, which gets paid off in the season finale. In between, Carol Kane joins the cast as the new chief engineer, Palia. They really need to have like some quirky figure as the chief engineer before they get to Scotty, I guess. I think that's the mode. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure if this qualifies as a big swing. 
but uh, it definitely thinks in the season premiere that we're about to talk about that quantity equals quality. Like there's just a lot of shit that happens in this episode. Yeah. Uh, From Enterprise and Space Talk, Pike leaving uh, to find a lawyer, Lon's distress call itself, Spock stealing the Enterprise uh, against Starfleet Command's order. We get this whole big idea of after the Klingon Federation war, which was in Discovery, that they settled this this uh, conflict with this dilithium planet that like uh-huh. w- every month they'll switch off uh yeah. and and the federation will monitor some i'm sure this is like based on real history like there's some outpost or some segment of europe where there is like this trade-off thing um but that's in there that's a big idea laon is has uncovered that there's a cartel or a syndicate of ex-federation are Starfleet and Klingon soldiers, which is like a Mission Impossible idea. It's like literally the idea of Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a cool idea that they just drop. Uh, they're doing this false flag operation to restart the war. We got all the Spock Chapel stuff. And then we discover, then they they take the time, the time to say, not only is Mabenga willing to ice his own daughter, this guy was a fucking commando killer during the war. Yeah. And... It's like there's just a lot going on in this one. <laughs> a lot. They rip off Return of the Jedi I saw with like the planet being like Endor. Laon is playing a drinking game when we see her. She's like literally Marion Ravenwood from Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's exactly what I yelled out when I watched her. <laughs> is any of this done uh, in like a loving homage or as good as its source? No, not at all. But no. it's there and it's just thrown into a stew and um, maybe your taste buds determine how good it tastes. But um, last week, and this is my last general thought, or specific thought, I should say. Last week, Kristen, when we were discussing The Expanse, you mentioned that the profound lot, how profoundly traumatic 10 million dead people would be on Earth's, like, human being yeah. psyche. And this week, we find out in the season premiere that 100 million Federation lives were lost in the war. Which is, so it's like, the bigger the death count, the more profound how impactful, I guess, someone's PTSD can be from being a war veteran than is. Um, but also, this episode really tells you why the Federation lost so many lives. No one can follow an order, and and everyone's stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so no wonder the Federation gets rinsed whenever it gets into a conflict. They all suck. Like you lost more people than, like, smallpox took in all of human history or something. I don't know if that's true. I'll have to look that up, but it's probably close. And and then Mabenga even further shows how silly it is over a parsec or two of space, which is a parsec is quite a lot of space, but for a hundred million, that's the cost, a hundred million lives. That's just, mm-hmm. that is a bad, there are no MacArthur's in that war. That is <laughs> just a disaster. All right, let's get into the grades. Um, one little note before we get going. I was a bit tipsy when I was watching this. So some of my notes don't make the most sense. I really wish I had done that. I did what I did yeah. with The Expanse. I watched this four times. And this episode did not have... Why are you doing that to yourself? This Good episode girl. did not have the punchy pacing of The Expanse, at least. It was a, quite a slog. So do you have any great scenes? Yeah. So I liked... Well, uh, in after a few drinks... I just put down a heist is a foot. Is it a good heist? I, though? <laughs> well, I, I was at the beginning of the show. I didn't know at the time. 
okay. and then Carol King coming onto the ship in her weird accent, and then she's basically like, "Let's steal this bitch," and helps them steal Enterprise. But I did put the law in doing the drinking game with the Klingon, just because I thought it was funny. But just like in Indiana Jones, they don't explain how she did it. Yeah, well, she's an augment. How do you just put that much alcohol down? Right, out drink a Klingon uh, with their mm-hmm. own drink. Yeah, with their um, own Klingon grog or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I thought the hallway fight with Chapel and Mabanga when they're on, they're fully on the gas was pretty interesting, like the fighting and what have you. Well, I guess we. I kind of brushed over this, but we should just talk about it then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, we need to talk about it because it happened and I watched it. Dr. Babenga carries with him at all times Wolverine's Berserker Mode juice. <laughs> <That>. <laughs> or steroids that basically yeah. make them Hulk out. It's like, yeah, it's like the Wolverine juice from Logan. Except it's not. They're very clear headed and they can have conversations and do complex operations like uh, just really transponder code. And they're, it really just is like adrenaline because they don't kill anybody. They don't like put their fists through anybody. So it really is just like a green shot of adrenaline. Anyway, so you like that scene. Also, put, uh, I liked it when Spock got drunk and then hung over mm. with the Klingons at the end. And he gets admonished by uh, April and says, you broke orders. <laughs> you risk starting a war with the Klingons, but your hangover mm-hmm. shall be punishment enough. Even though when Spock steals the Enterprise in the original series later on, he gets immediately court-martialed. Oh. <laughs> immediately. So Consequences? I don't know. That <laughs> yeah. sounds like boring. Maybe they thought, well, we just lost 100 million people. We can't start bouncing people out of the service. We're pretty, our uh, rosters are pretty thin. So. <laughs> yeah. Best Trek tropes. Space Dock. Red Alert. Yeah, okay. The idea of profiteering or capitalism kind of being the bad guy. That's the motivation Mm -hmm. of the syndicate, I guess. I kind of like that as a competing uh, thought. That was good. Although I did put down a Star Wars one, which was, it's a trap. (laughs) Is it a trap? I don't know. It is. It's a trap. Um, And then I said Klingons are strong and sparks on the bridge. When were they strong? There was a part. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, this I was I... prior to Nurse Chapel, all 115 pounds of her just running through like 10 Klingons. No problem. I guess it's always cool when you see a new ship design or a different ship, starship. So mm-hmm. I'm going to put that in there. The, the false Federation ship that the syndicate or the broken circle as... They don't tell us it's called the Broken Circle. She just refers to it as the Broken Circle later on after she mentions there's a syndicate. It was weird, but it was cool seeing another sh- uh, ship. Anyway, mm-hmm. I guess to that end, the space battle, we probably won in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Worst Trek tropes. Una on a Zoom call with Captain Pike. I didn't know at the time why that was going on, mm. but I was like, that seems cheap. Like, they don't actually want to come to Toronto. Um. And the stupid catchphrase thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. For this show to do that, 
so soon. So, it's so recently as Picard season three did it, referenced it, is super annoying and very dumb. I can't believe it's a Trek trope now that I have lived to see this join the canon of tropes that you see in Star Trek. And uh, just, and they're all stupid. All of them are, uh, that's the thing that people don't want to admit. They all suck. <laughs> yeah. I put so dumb and bad. There we go. Yeah, that, that I just can't get over how now this is a thing that everybody has to reference in every show and I don't care for it. It feels like they're trying to do the thing where it's like, if we keep repeating it, it'll go from funny to cringe back to being funny. And I don't accept the, I reject the premise that it was ever funny in a good way. They swung too big on this one, Brian. It's not good. <laughs> oh, it was boy. a swing and a miss, I would say. Yes. <laughs> but that's we not going to stop them from Yes. <laughs> Yes, the the studio said we need to lock out these writers to make them think about what they've done. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the warp travel times. Star Trek has oh, yeah. definitely been elastic with warp travel times. But Pike's going to, you know, they exacerbate it. And if you want to say that there is an exaggeration going on there, um, why? Why defend it? It's basically, I'm going to take three days off and warp across the quadrant to, it's not an exaggeration because he's trying to show that there's only one person in the galaxy effectively who could actually defend her, but he really has to go and get her, like find her. So it, it's not an exaggeration because they're trying to underscore how important this person is that he's willing to travel so far. But this, at least this episode shows that if they had a technical advisor on the show between medical science actual you know like physics and mm -hmm. even star trek science they they did not heed a single memo <laughs> on the script no it, it, it's like an intentional thumbing the nose at all science anyway so the fact that he can traverse the half the quadrant can go billions of miles in yeah three days right. yeah sure also, it's like in season one, they spent a lot of time saying like, it'll take this much time to get a message back to command to get a response. And La'an is sending a message to them instantaneously. Like they're at Earth. It's just silly, silly nonsense. The the sequence where they get rescued, out, beamed out of space and, you know, yeah, just that, that was whole wild. thing. That was like, I don't know if I care for that. Absolutely, you know, not a shred of science. They're not like no, it's impossible. I mean, like, there's been science fiction shows where they've tried to create a reality of it, and in this one, they're just like, nope. Like in the Expanse, they have a character who does this because she's trying to. It's her last desperate act of survival. The television show, The Expanse, not the yes, episode. Exactly, we just okay. exactly. And she breathes. She tries to like like exhale to try to get as much oxygen out, like just these little things. And then her face gets burned because she's got the radiation, you know, the unprotected light of a star on her and all that stuff. And in this one, they just get like a little bit of slushy on them and they look fine. And, but also they're not light. doing anything before they blow themselves into space. That's a violent decompression. There's like no veneer of reality, uh, like smeared over that. It's I'm all like, I'm pretty sure your lungs would crack and shatter. But also, like, an antimatter explosion that close to them, it doesn't matter. They, they were toast. 
<laughs> just, yeah, they were toast. The ship, the ship that they shot down, the Enterprise shoots down with the torpedoes, and then it's in space, and somehow it's like sinking. It's like falling. <laughs> it was just so weird. It's just like it's like a ship that gets shot out of the sky. It's like not near the planet. It's so weird. Like I think I'm pretty sure like when airplanes break apart. People suffocate so quickly and like freeze to death so quickly up in that air. I don't want to ever find that out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stealing the Enterprise. You know, worst Trek tropes, I think we have for the most part thought it's like there are a lot of tropes that get overused and are just shortcuts to storytelling. Kristen, I'm going to introduce the idea that sometimes what are typically good tropes can also be used poorly. Well, yeah, that's always been my, my um, philosophy. This is sometimes I like them. Sometimes I don't. Fair enough. I think in this case, this is the boring, dumb version of stealing the enterprise. It was not exciting at all. No, it was like, you might as well just, I don't know, not even had to have stolen it. Like, what's the point? Spock does it all by himself in the menagerie. And it's very uh, complicated and intricate well it basically comes down to him having some uh duplicated voices though it's not actually that complicated but this one it's like and the fact that polia is able to suss it out real fast it's just like there's no tension to it and then it's just a bunch of people standing around making jokes and it's like it's not serious it's not there's there's no dramatic weight to it it's just there because they don't have ants amount for every day of shooting so they need to like eat up two or three days. That's what it feels like. Uh, the Klingons are a punchline. Uh, and, and when they're not a punchline, they're just a thing to be punched. So kind of like the, the Klingons are told, we're told or treated as some sort of a threat, but whenever we see them or have any encounter with them, they're just a joke and they're easily dispatched with, which I guess is like a long held Star Trek tradition as well, but doesn't, it just makes this episode just another bad trope here. I thought hiding in an asteroid field and appearing as space debris, uh, they've used that before. And also it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not that it doesn't make sense, but it just seems like a really um, foolhardy thing to do. Like it's an ill-considered part of the plan because yeah. if, if this asteroid field is pretty close to the planet and this planet was a big deal during the war, it stands to reason that the Klingons and the Federation would know that that asteroid would present a great strategic opportunity to hide ships in there. <laughs> like yeah. that would have been something that happened during the war and that they, at the very least, if not like had a well-known thing that everyone yeah. would be looking out for. That's right. So either they would have sensor buoys there or they would have patrol ships there. So, you know, it's like, how do you get around that? Cause they need the story to work. Well, they could have been out just outside the system, so they're not technically violating the agreement or whatever. Like, there's ways to do it, but this was just, like, so thuddingly stupid. It's just parked right outside. You can see the planet from the asteroid. It's just, it's, like, so silly. Anyway, uh, then in this case, uh, Laon bluffs with that subspace detonator when the Klingons that she's trading with are, you know, about to turn violent. And he says, are you sure you have no Klingon blood in you? She hasn't earned that, right? No, no, I reject the use of that in this situation. Disgraceful to even yes. suggest it. <laughs> and then that, that, that Klingon's house should be ashamed of him. <laughs> what a dishonor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
calling out shield percentages is my final one. Yeah, I put that down just for you. <laughs> as you. soon as I heard it, I was like, uh-huh, right there. So kind of like it's a mishmash of every kind of sloppy, half-considered Trek trope this episode. Anyway, most of it's time quality. Starting the season at home base. There's something weird about, I think it's um, a like a 9-11 idea of like, we always need to be check in with base. And like, there's there's uh, layers of management now. And the, the thing about Star Trek was they're out on the frontier by themselves at a lot of the time. And they have to mm-hmm. figure out these problems on their own. So resetting your whole show by starting the new season back at home base, so you have to go out again, kind of defeats the whole purpose of a Trek and strange new worlds. And I just thought that that's very of its time. Strange Discovery. new worlds, such as Branson, Missouri, which we can right. see out of the window from here. And they do this in at, Discovery. At space too. Dock. Yeah, the, in Discovery, she shoots ahead to the 31st century and there's still the same bureaucracy and Discovery has to like report to an admiral who gives them all their missions and micromanages them. And it's just like the same idea of like, maybe they're trying, maybe the writers are just writing what they know, which is like really involved development execs, <laughs> like guiding yeah. the stories. I don't know, but it's it's very of its time. Uh, what do you have? Um, someone I did not write down who says no pressure. Uh, meaning no pressure and i was like ugh, ugh. it's like nails on a chalkboard we ran into this problem last season right with the dialogue just being uh-huh. a complete and they had like klingons talking like sorry to jam up your issue here like talking very flippantly modern that yeah. the klingon woman who kidnaps mabenga and and uh chapel she's like sorry to break up the party or whatever <laughs> just like, stupid shit like that uh, i put prequelitis you know, how did Spock get his famous Vulcan loot? Dr. Mabanga gave it to him, which he had just right around the corner this whole time. And he <laughs> elegantly and without ceremony just goes around the corner and brings it out to him and hands Spock this musical instrument that Spock will play. Uh, it's a weird like thing. Like, how did so-and-so get this? They're famous this. Oh, it's a weird he just it's, hand it to, yeah. to him as a... Coping mechanism for anxiety. That's right. The idea that Spock, and this is the part that bothers me. So then also he hijacks another sign of prequelitis. Spock has experience hijacking the Enterprise, which is why how he's able to do it later on. He already did it once before, stealing the Enterprise. And it's like, it's a weird thought process because rationally, logically, it seems to me that Spock, who says in their own script, that Vulcans are fascinated by music because of its mathematical precision, then it stands to reason that he would have an instrument for that reason and that he would somehow be inspired by somebody else about stealing the Enterprise. But here they have it completely reversed. He just he has the idea of stealing the Enterprise and, and he's given the loot, even though Vulcans like music. It's a bizarre... Like, it doesn't track with characterization. It's like a weird... Uh, logic to it anyway what else do you have any other ones yeah and then the false flag that's very Mm -hmm. like today and i know we agreed to not do the dialogue anymore but come on this is like what's an (laughs) anti-matter detonation switch it's not a thing is it yeah no definitely not a thing get out of here it's not we're not in a will ferrell movie from 2000 Forward, like stop it's definitely not a thing definitely not a thing i don't care <laughs> which show it was who they 
someone on like on Twitter shared a whiteboard in their writer's room that was like, these are all the jokes we cannot use anymore. And I can't remember what show it was, but it's like all that cliche crap. Like, could you be anymore? Blah, blah, blah. Like things like that, that they had just huge lists of it that they were no longer allowed to use because I thought by then it was hacky. And this was like easily five to six years ago. Yeah. And, and listen, having watched the whole second season, there's a emphasis on we want to be funny as opposed to tell a story. Like they're willing to sell out everything for a joke. And I mean, literally they'll bring in the cartoon characters later on, but like this season very much puts an emphasis on telling jokes, which to my mind means they have a lot of comedy writers in there, which to my mind means they would know the landmines that you just described. And I don't recall them avoiding any of those. I think they use everything on that whiteboard. Like they misread mm-hmm. it. They're like, these are yeah. the jokes. Ooh, we these should- are the hot ones. <laughs> we should put all these cliches in. <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. I have one. Dr. Mabenga, do you know that after the battle of Chicana, there was so much blood in the air, the rain turned red. You know, sometimes these yeah. melodramatic lines of dialogue, especially for war, they're just like overwrought. That was good. It was well delivered. So I appreciate it. It was very graphic and gross. But yeah. yes. But it's like a like especially like it's it was almost a poetic way of describing how bad in Grizzly War can be. I liked it. It was good. Any for you? I have two Spock ones. And the first one is, what is the human expression? Famous last words. And then um, when they're trying to get him to make the catchphrase, he just says, I would like the ship to go now. Like a three-year-old. <laughs> I would like a cookie now. <laughs> like my son will just pop into a room sometime and be like, I would like some cake now. I'd be like, well, we don't have any cake. And he just looks at us like we're crazy. That was kind of the same vibe. I mean, I feel like they think that fans are big diaper wearing babies, that that we enjoy that. It just seems oh, like su- it seems like such. Well, it's better than like him actually coming up with one with a catch for like an actual catchphrase like that. He found humorous. Not every time does a character have to answer a question that like they don't have to directly address the things that are said to them. And that's how you actually, those shades, those moments, those differences is where character is revealed. So the idea that every line has to get a direct response is what's crazy about this show is like, it's, there's no shades of anything. So like they're putting him on the spot to say this line and his response is to play into that because that's, a, it's a joke, right? It's not anything more than set up punchline mm-hmm. and, and that's all it's treated as. So if they just want us to look at the show as like 30 rock. Okay. I'll do that. And that was not a funny joke, but uh, it's okay. In the Spock pantheon of strange new worlds lines. I'll, it probably is one of the better ones. <laughs> I mean, for this episode. Yeah. Uh, the Anton Caridian award for best performance. Babs, Alusa McCoon as Dr. Mabenga. Okay. Who did you have? I didn't have anybody because I just, I went to bed. I was tired. I just like, I don't know. I think we get Dr. Mabenga being the steely commando, cold-blooded killer to get he and Chapel out of this situation. I think it works. I think every part of their 
capture and escape where they, you know, blow themselves out into space to survive, you know, 15 extra seconds or whatever. Like they're good in it, even though the choreography of the fighting and the slow motion and the whirly camera moves, it's all ridiculous. Uh, but they're really good in it, I thought. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. The Shatner. I'm going to give it to Nurse Chapel's Rat's Nest wig. <laughs> it is. <laughs> what the hell is going on with that? It was going for something. It was just awful like it was i don't know if somebody forgot to comb it out from last season or what <laughs> but it looks like someone threw it in the washing machine <laughs> it was bad what was what was the worst moment like what's the image you have in your head that's like really sticking out to banga, you like running around doing something i forget but it, I, I was it was a distraction i was just like ugh all right, for my Shatner, because yours is actually pretty solid and might actually be better, and mine might be too mean. Oh, oh boy. I'm giving it to Chris Fisher, the director. <laughs> Can directing be overwrought? It's like yes. all the talk all the talking scenes are bland, static, nothing shots, and anytime there's motion. He's whipping it around. Yeah, there's a lot, go, lot of camera motion. Yeah, he's 360ing, but there's no motion. Like, there's no dynamism. Like, the, the whole stealing the Enterprise sequence is, like, just lands like a turd because there's no motion in that sequence. And it's just, like, it's just people standing and talking. Like, it kind of looks like it was, some of it was done by, like, a second unit. There's that, no, yeah, there's no. storyboarded enough out so they didn't know, like, what it was going to look like. There's not enough. There's not any dynamic staging or you know blocking anything like that. COVID could have had something to do with it. The weird shooting schedule as a result of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Shooting in front of the AR wall when they get to where they're going could have had some impact. But like, and obviously, I don't think the script really is that strong. So he's trying to like create something that might not be there as well. But it's like this directing really tries to the the sequence where Mbenga and Chapel are beamed out of space back onto the Enterprise, that was obviously to save budget to like do, they didn't have a shot of just the two of them floating around in space and they didn't want to like figure out, do we do wires? Do we do CGI of their bodies spinning around? So he did some sort of artistic thing with that. Um, but then as soon as they land on the pad, it's like, so he, he spends a lot of time working on the camera movements, but then Chapel materializes and Spock rushes up to her and he does like four chest compressions and suddenly she's alive. It's just stupid shit. Like <laughs> lungs yeah, it just looks silly though. It's like, like you, you spend a lot of time for the action movement to like, try to make it look cool. And then all the like more human moments, realistic moments are just not a second thought. That, it's kind of a mean Shatner, but it's like he really had to go for it, I think, with the script. I have an honorable mention. Oh, OK. Kurdok, the Klingon who tries to cheat at the drinking game by letting a bunch <laughs> of people in their he, he was going for it. And I, I liked I appreciated that. And I did like that little moment, which is like, stop trying to, you know, cheat by having it go in your beard. I thought that was cute. What part of this? Okay. Way oh, go ahead. I know. Just gonna, you know, it could go to any of those three, I think. And I'm. <laughs> with it but that wig i better not see that shit again <laughs> like this show's gotta have a better budget than that than to have one ratty ass wig 
<laughs> You're on notice. Wig. If I find out it's not a wig, it's got to be a wig. If I find out it's not a wig, oof. <laughs> uh, uh, what part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Well, everything Polia mentions when discussing the signs of a warp core breach. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> they say, well, I teach this at Starfleet Academy. Now, she says, I teach a class on warp core breaches, which is an absurd class. So it can't be that, right? It has to be about warp core engineering. You know what I mean? Like, or instability or something. It seems like a pretty short class. If you te- like, a, if she had said a seminar on warp core breaches, that would make sense. But a class? I don't know. Maybe you have to like reverse engineer the breach or something. That takes a while. But that's like a test that you would do at the end of the class on studying warp well, core Well, no, not design. really. So like... Like the NTSB like re puts together like plane crashes that takes a long time. Like even if they know, have an idea of like what caused it, it seems plausible. There's like at least, I don't know, a, f- a couple units you could take on warp core breaches. But like independent of the larger scheme, the larger, the ship or, you know, it, engines. Know. Okay. Could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? I think the Carol Kane character definitely should have just been like a horny old lady, but um, I'm willing to be wrong on that. I mean, what was her relationship with Spock's mom? Yeah. <laughs> she came out questions. to her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you didn't, if you're just following along with us and not the episode, uh, Polia is part of a species that lives thousands of years. I don't know why they didn't just make it Guinan species, which would have been fine. But anyway, yeah. and she's been on. She had been on Earth a long time, and knew Spock's mom. And Spock's mom is the Amanda Grayson, and that's the first person she revealed her origins to. She tells Spock at the end. I mean, I think this episode could have been hornier in that Spock and Chapel should have just consummated it. They, it's like they get into it, and then they're saving it, and it's like a. I don't know. It's a weird thing of like, he saves her life and I don't know, or Mabanga and chapel. They could have had a little detour, but I think the episode definitely could have been hornier for sure. Would that have yeah. made it better? Yes, absolutely. Anything would almost I mean, anything. They are, I mean, they're what they're supposed to be on like shore leave actually. Like, right. That's true. And, yeah. and we learned that chapel and previous ones, she's like hookup time, time to mm-hmm. uh, hit the ports. Uh, it's also <laughs> weird that, also, yeah, exactly. It's also weird that like Tapring is always bending Spock Spock to her schedule, and like the one time she knows where he's gonna be, she's not there. It's just a, a weird thing mm-hmm. that they do. Anyway, Trek, marry or kill the broken circle. Kill, 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 kill. <laughs> Dumb, ill-considered, stupid, idiotic, pointless, a waste of time, a waste of resources. We learn nothing. We gain nothing from it. There is nothing from this episode. It's like one of the worst episodes of Star Trek I can ever remember watching. Wow. I don't, I'm not going to say it was just my opinion. on that. I'm going to say, what put it over the edge for me, is the catchphrase stuff. So I'm going to kill it for that reason. Otherwise, I would have been like, eh, whatever. It's inoffensive. But I was actively offended by this. You're too lenient <laughs> in season one, perhaps, because look what they did. Yeah. We, we didn't neg them enough. So they, they're like, look what we can get away with. It's like, no. The audience is responding. So we decided. Let's make it worse. Everything we're doing is great. More, I, more. 
you know, the, there's the idea of like the adult in the room or taking something seriously. And I don't know what this episode was wanting us to take seriously. Did it want us to take war veteran stuff, the Mabanga chapel stuff seriously? It gets undercut with the berserker mode. You know, am I taking <laughs> Spock? Am I taking Spock and Chapel's burgeoning affair seriously? Uh, it gets not really, not really. You know, is stealing the Enterprise even serious? Taken seriously? No. Is potentially a war with the Klingons or the syndicate of ex soldiers on either side? Is any of that taken seriously? No. We get Spock drinking blood wine with some Klingons, which you know, it's like a weird violation. Not a violation. It's a weird overreach of canon because it kind of then implies that Kirk's just a racist because, you know, in the original series, the Klingons really are presented on one side of the wall. Like they're the villain, uh, the antagonist. And here it's like we're breaking bread with them. We're having drinks with them in a friendly, peaceful way. It's just it's like I don't know what we're supposed to take seriously in it. So it's hard to take it seriously. So we should kill it. So. The jokes, oh, and the jokes didn't land. Maybe if it had yeah. just been purely funny and like you could just get over it because it was funny, then maybe that would make sense. I mean, they could have but... just done a shore leave episode. Yeah. That would have been fun. I feel like uh, the context as a kickoff to season two, you know, there were probably a, a more, there's probably a more interesting way to get Pike off the ship or, you know, limited to the one day they had him for this episode, whatever. But as a kickoff to the season, it's it leaves a lot to be desired. I think it's not it's not really that exciting. I mean, there's no no one's considering an abortion in it for one thing. So yeah, no, not at all. No one has any unexplained pregnancies. Yeah. Next week, Kristen, we're jumping to the original series, Bread and Circuses, one of the wild card episodes you picked. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy must battle in a Roman arena to appease TV network executives. Hell yeah. <laughs> Art imitates life, doesn't it? Are you not entertained? <laughs> Be sure to rate it and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars there or right there in your Spotify app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us online on Twitter and Instagram at TrekMaryKPod and on our website, TrekMaryKillPod.com, which has all our links in the standings of everything we've created so far. So until next week, TMK out. Bye.